Well, God bless you, my beloved. It's Minister S.N. Crockett Jr. with Jesus Christ, our Lord Christian Fellowship. We're coming to you this 2nd of April, 2nd of April, 2020, with our weekly broadcast, the first installment of our weekly broadcast, the truth of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. And we're going to come to you tonight. We're going to continue praying about the coronavirus situation. We're going to continue to pray and ask the Lord to sustain us, to sustain those churches that really love him, that really love his dear son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We come to you, Lord. <clears throat> I mean, we come to you tonight. We're going to, uh, we're going <clears> to, <throat> we're going to uh, do the, uh, teach from the first half of First John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, and then Sunday, Lord willing, we'll finish 1 John, because it has five chapters. We'll do the second half, or approximately the second half of 1 John 5 on Sunday. We pray that you are well. We pray that you are taking the hygienic precautions, the social distancing. We pray that you're walking in faith, not foolishness, not name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. We pray that you're walking in wisdom with our Lord Jesus Christ. That Remember, there are no teachings in the New Testament that exempt us from sickness, suffering, and sorrow. There are no teachings in the New Testament that exempt us, the body of Christ, from sickness, sufferings, and sorrow. There are no teachings in the New Testament. There are no teachings in the New Testament that tell us you can go do what you want to do and don't worry. Uh, you can, you can uh, you know, shake a thousand people's hands and hug 500 people. And because you belong to Jesus, you cannot catch the coronavirus. There, there are no such teachings in the New Testament. They don't exist. <laughs> so uh, there's, there's a report that there's a preacher who plans to have a Woodstock type church gathering on uh, Easter Sunday. If you remember Woodstock, the most famous of all rock concerts was held in August of 1969 in Bethel, New York at Max Yasger's farm. And it, it attracted, at this time it was the largest concert I think ever. It attracted oh, hundreds of thousands of people. But in this pandemic that we're currently in where people are being are getting sick and dying from close physical contact uh, that, that's probably not wisdom so when you see the preacher planning to have the Woodstock type gathering on Easter or when you see preachers continuing to have church with large amounts of people 1500 1800 2000 people um, I don't think it's faith I think it's foolishness Especially when you have an alternative, you can go online and have a virtual service. Now, there was a time when you couldn't do that, but you can have a virtual service. And so um, to have a live service where you have uh, people, at, especially anywhere, but especially somewhere like Louisiana, where they already have a high uh, amount of COVID-19 contamination. I don't think it's faith. I think it's foolishness. I think uh, some of our brethren don't don't know the difference or don't want to know the difference between faith, foolishness, presumption. And so uh, let us walk in wisdom. Uh, 
in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Okay, we're going to do 1 John 5, first 12 verses tonight. Let us pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you. We bless you. We thank you for allowing us to mention your holy and your righteous name. We bless you and we praise you. We ask that you strengthen us, Lord, strengthen the household of faith, strengthen those who really love you and believe in your dear son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Lord, help us more than to be successful. Help us to be faithful. Help us to more than be successful, Lord. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be faithful unto you. Help us to be faithful unto your gospel. Help us to be faithful unto the gospel of your dear son, Jesus Christ, to whom be glory, power, majesty, and dominion, both now and forever. We pray that as a result of this teaching and preaching and teaching and preaching all over the world, whether live or virtual, Lord, we pray that there will be fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit as a result. We need you, Lord. We need you. We need you. We pray that souls will be saved and the saints will be encouraged by Jesus Christ, we pray. Let there, let there be a, manifest, a manifestation of your Holy Spirit. Open the eyes of our understanding that we may not only know your will, but do it. By Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, my beloved, we're going to, I'm going to read to you from 1 John 5, and then we'll go into the chapter. I'm only going to do half the chapter tonight. I'll finish it on Sunday, Lord willing. 1 John 5, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who overcomes, uh, I'm sorry, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We, are, we accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater, because it is the testimony of of God, which he has given about his son. Whoever believes in the son of God accepts his testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God, which of course is Jesus, does not have life. First John, not St. John, First John 5, 1 through 12. All right, so John the Apostle wrote this book. He wrote two other epistles. He also wrote the gospel. He also wrote the book of the Revelation, what we call the Apocalypse. So he, John is credited with five of the 27 New Testament books. Let me go through my outline here. I'll make a few comments and then we'll close. All right, walking with Jesus our Lord through 1 John 5, 1 through 12. Verses 1 through 5, once again, the Holy Apostle, and that would be John, proclaims two proofs that we belong to Christ's church. 
You see, to say we belong to Jesus, there must be proof. There must be evidence. <laughs> there must be evidence. A, we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the, the, the son of God, the one sent by God to be the savior, the one sent by God to be the savior of the world. Let me say that again. Once again, the Holy Apostle proclaims two proofs that we belong to Christ's church. A, we believe that Jesus is the Christ. Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? Do you believe the Bible says, Romans 10 and 9, that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God is raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So if we believe that Jesus is Yeshua HaMashiach, the Messiah, the, the anointed one, the Christos, the Christ, that's proof that we belong to God. B, we love those who love the Lord Jesus. So it's not only love toward God through Jesus Christ by believing in Jesus, but it's also love for those who love Jesus. So that cross is vertical, but it's also horizontal. The Holy Apostle also once again directs us to what I like to call the Christian love imperative. No matter how stern he is in this epistle, he keeps talking about this love. We must demonstrate our discipleship by love. We have to. If we don't love, we're not disciples of Jesus. If we don't love, we're not disciples of Jesus. It is a Christian love imperative, meaning we don't have a choice. This is not, this is not God suggesting, I ask you, would you please? He says, by this shall all men know you are my disciples if you love one another. So there's a Christian love imperative. He also instills, he being the Holy Apostle John, he also instills supreme confidence in believers by assuring them that they, and we by extension, would be overcomers of this wicked world. We are overcomers because we have faith in Jesus. We are overcomers because we follow Jesus. We are, over, we are, we are in the body of Christ. We are with Jesus, not just in word, but also in reality, in deed, and in truth. To believe that Jesus is the Son of God is to believe that he is God Almighty. To believe that Jesus is the Son of God is to believe that he is God Almighty. The Jews knew that. <clears throat> That's why when he said that he's the Son of God, they took up rocks to stone him because they knew what that meant. When he said Son of God, uh, capital S-O-N, it's normally written in our Bibles, the, the Jews knew the theological, uh, Christological implications of that. They knew that he was saying that he is divine. I'm a son of God, but I am not the son of God. You are a son or a daughter of God. You are not the son of God. Only Jesus, only, capital O, only Jesus is the son of God. So to believe that Jesus is the son of God is to believe that he is God. Almighty John eight fifty eight is where the Jews uh, are contending with Jesus as usual, and uh, they're talking to him, and he said, "Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad." And the Jews said, "You're not yet fifty years old. How can you talk about Abraham? You've never seen Abraham." And then Jesus said in John eight fifty eight. Verily I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, why would Jesus make that statement? Because he's, he's showing his, 
though he's walking, though he's tabernacling in flesh, in the likeness, the Bible says, of sinful flesh, he is still eternal. Remember, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But Jesus, uh, uh, as the word, the logos of God, has no, has no beginning. Before Abraham was, remember John, even John the Baptist said, that uh, this this man who's coming after me is what he, is uh, greater than I am because he was before me. So John the Baptist knew, although in the flesh they were cousins, uh, that John the Baptist knew that Jesus was divine. He was before me. That doesn't that doesn't mean he was born before John the Baptist. John the Baptist was born about six months before Jesus uh, was born of the Virgin Mary. So when John said he he was before me. He's talking about his divinity. He's in essence, um, he's quoting Micah five and two. His goings forth have been from uh, from uh, from everlasting, Micah five and two. Yeah. So to uh, believe that Jesus is the Son of God is to believe that He's God Almighty. John eight fifty eight, Romans nine and five. Is is one of the principal scriptures used to defend the deity of Jesus. Listen to this. Paul says, I could wish that I myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. Now listen to verse 5 of Romans 9. Of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Jesus is the eternal, eternally blessed God. He is over all. Then Paul closes that statement by saying, Amen. Amen means that there's no further argument here. Let it be. Let it be. Be it so. That's it. Yeah. Let me read that to you again. Of whom are the fathers, Paul was saying he wished he could be a curse from Israel if it would save his brethren, his Jewish brethren. He says, of whom are the fathers and from whom according to the flesh. Remember, Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh, Romans 8 and 3. Of whom are the fathers and from whom according to the flesh Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. Jesus is the eternally blessed God. He's not eternally blessed by God, although that is true also. He is the eternally blessed God, Romans 9, 5. So at John eight fifty eight, Romans 9, 5. And then let me read one more passage to you, Revelation 1 and 8. Jesus said, when John saw him initially on the Isle of Patmos, Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Now, in order for him to be the Alpha and the Omega, that means he's the beginning and the end. Alpha being the first letter of the Greek alphabet, Omega being the last of the 24 letters of the Greek alphabet. He's the Alpha, he's the Omega, he's the beginning and the end. That means he's God, he's divine. He said in Revelation 22, I am the root and the offspring of David. Glory to the Lamb of you. If that doesn't excite you, I can't help you. I am the root and the offspring of David. Meaning, I'm the root of David. I was before David. I am the offspring of David. According to the flesh, I came down through 42 generations through the tribe of Judah, the tribe of David, the kingly tribe. The, the, although Israel had kings, Judah had kings also when the kingdom was split after Solomon. And so Jesus comes down through the tribe of Judah, the tribe of David, the tribe of Solomon, the tribe of Josiah, 
the tribe of many other kings of Judah, many of them wicked, but many of them, some of them at least righteous, Asa, Josiah, I believe Hezekiah was, was a righteous man, etc. But and David is the prototype. David is Jesus. David is, is in, and, and Solomon. David is thought to be a, a type of Christ, uh, but Solomon is also thought to be a type of Christ in his millennial rule. All right, so Jesus came down through 42 generations. So he says, I am the root and the offspring of David. I'm the bright and the morning star. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. Listen to what Jesus said. Who is and who was and who is to come. The Almighty. Now, Jesus called himself the Almighty. Now, if he's the Almighty, that means he's the Almighty. He's, he says, I'm the goat. <laughs> he says, I'm the greatest. I am the greatest, as Muhammad Ali used to say. He's God. He's divine. Amen. Amen. The Holy Apostle directs our attention to faith in the testimony of Jesus incarnation. He says, have faith in this, because at that time there were those who were teaching. The Gnostics were teaching that uh, that all flesh, all matter was evil and therefore God could not become flesh because uh, because all flesh, all matter was evil. And so God, John is battling that that heresy, that false teaching saying, believe in the incarnation of, of, of God in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So the Holy Apostle directs our attention to faith in the testimony of Jesus' incarnation. Listen to this, and the witness of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's ministry, part of the Holy Spirit's ministry, one of the main parts of the Holy Spirit's ministry is to point us to Jesus. Jesus said himself concerning the Holy Spirit, he shall testify of me. He shall point to me. He will not point to denomination or preacher or pope, or papal pronouncement. He shall point to Jesus. Paul said in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, no man can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Ghost. No man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. You see, no, no man speaking by the Spirit of God because apparently there were prophetic utterances going on in the Corinthian church that were questionable. And Paul had to deal with that issue. He says, nobody speaking by the Spirit of God is going to throw Jesus under the bus. Now, if you say Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That, that's Bible. That's biblical. That, that, that's Holy Spirit inspired, Galatians 3 and 13. But if you're, if you're saying that Jesus is a bootleg preacher, a false prophet, and that he's boiling in excrement for eternity, as, as many Jewish rabbis believe, you're not speaking by the Spirit of God. So Paul says nobody speaking by the Spirit will call Jesus accursed. Nobody can say that Jesus is Lord except by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And so John, in essence, is saying the same thing here. He says we have the witness of the Holy Spirit. Importantly, the Holy Apostle reasons with us. <clears throat> because remember, when somebody preaches... They're trying to appeal to your conscience. When somebody preaches and teaches, they're trying to appeal to your conscience. You have a will. We, we all have a will. And when somebody is preaching and teaching, they're trying to appeal to your conscience. And so John says, if we believe the witness of men, this is one of my favorite uh, passages of scripture. If we believe the witness of men, the witness of God, is so much greater. Oh, I could preach and teach on that for eight hours. <laughs> if we believe the witness of men, let me let me find where that passage is. He says, 
verse 9, and this is the NIV I'm reading, so it's slightly different. Verse 9, we accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his son. So John says, if we believe the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. And this is the testimony that he has given about his son. Now, I don't think there's anybody in this audience who's, uh, um, uh, you know, over 75, 80 years old. But yet, if, if, if we were told that uh, there was a civil war in this country from 1861 to 1865, and there was an emancipation proclamation signed by President Lincoln, and the slaves were freed at the end of the civil war, we all believe that, yet none of us were there. We believe the witness of men. The Bible says the witness of God is greater. If, if we were told there was a flu pandemic in 1918 that killed millions of people, etc., we believe it because we tend to believe the historical record, etc. The Bible says the witness of God is greater. We believe these things, but, 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 then, but then we tend not to believe the witness of God. The witness of God is greater. The Holy Apostle directs our attention to faith in the testimony of Jesus' incarnation, meaning he became flesh, the, the word became flesh and the witness of the Holy Spirit. Importantly, the Holy Apostle reasons with us. He's trying to appeal to our conscience. And he asserts, if we believe the witness of men, the witness of God is so much greater, which it is. Those who truly believe God's witness have no problem accepting the testimony concerning his son, Jesus. It's when these people don't want to believe it's when these people don't want to believe they, and then they'll throw up these arguments and I deal with it all the time on, on the internet, etc. They want to throw up these arguments that the very first thing they attack is the integrity of God's word. See, if you can attack it, it it's the same thing Satan did in the garden of, of Eden in, in Genesis chapter three, have not God said, no, God didn't say that. See that. So what these people would do is they'll attack, they'll attack the integrity of God's word. But, we know, those of us who are true believers, we know the word of God is, 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 is faithful. Written by men, but inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not talking about every little preposition and this and that and that and this. I'm not getting off into that argument. I'm, I'm not even talking about, uh, you know, this error here in a preposition. It should be there and this, that, and the third. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about the integrity of God's word, of the doctrinal precepts of God's word, especially in the original manuscripts. God's word is divine. Holy men of God, Peter said, holy men of God spoke as they were moved, hallelujah, by the Holy Spirit. And so when I see people attacking God's word, oh, the white man did this, and the Catholic Church took these books out in the 1800s, and it's the same tired, tired, same tired argument. These people are drinking from the same poison well, and and they've been deceived by the devil. The devil has distracted them, because the devil doesn't want them to fall down and worship at the feet of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I was dealing with that, um, I think, yesterday. It's the same tired argument. Same tired argument. All right. Those who refuse to believe God's witness have called him a liar. If you say that Jesus is not Lord, if you say he's not the Christ, if you say that God did not become flesh in the person of his son, Jesus, you're calling God a liar. Now, it's one thing to call me a liar. Now you're calling God a liar. If you don't believe in Jesus, you've called God a liar. If you don't believe that he's the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the anointed one, the one ordained by God to inherit the throne of his father, David, to sit on David's throne one day and to rule, 
uh, and to ruling the millennial kingdom and then into eternity, you're calling God a liar. And we know God cannot lie. The Bible says he cannot lie. All right. Those who truly believe God's witness have no problem accepting the testimony concerning his son, Jesus. Those who refuse to believe God's witness have called him a liar. Our belief in God's testimony concerning his son, Jesus, is our ticket to eternal life. Our belief in God's testimony concerning his son, Jesus, right? If you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. Jesus said, if you don't believe who I am, then Jesus said, you die in your sins. Jesus said, if you believe not that I am he, meaning Messiah, Savior, Lord, Jehovah is salvation. If Jesus said, if you don't believe that, you're going to die in your sins. And now once you die in your sins, that's it. You cannot make a decision for Jesus on the other side of the grave. It's not going to happen. Our belief in God's testimony concerning his son, Jesus, is our ticket. Not that we worked for our... Not that we work for our salvation, but our faith in who Jesus is, is our ticket to eternal life. The Bible says in John 3 and 36, let me, let me read that to you, then we're going to close in a minute. The Bible says in John 3 and 36, it says, he that believes on the son has everlasting life. Now, this is the same John who wrote 1 John. This is God. This is St. John, the gospel of John. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. And he that believes not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. John 3 and 36. So if you don't believe in Jesus, the wrath of God is, 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 is abiding on you like a sword of Damocles. If you don't believe in Jesus, the wrath of God is abiding on you. And if you don't make a decision for Jesus then uh, you're not going to have eternal life. You'll have eternal damnation. You'll have eternal death. You'll have to face what's called the second death. And you'll have eternal damnation, eternal condemnation, eternal separation from God. But if you believe on Jesus as the only um, fount, fountain of living water, the only source of salvation, the only remedy to the sin question. See, when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says, that God was satisfied that the sin question had been answered, that the sin issue had been dealt with. It pleased the Lord to bruise him, not because God is sadistic, but God knew that in, in bruising his son in sending his son to die at Calvary's cruel cross for our sins, God knew that would answer the sin issue. Jesus is the propitiation, the satisfaction, the atonement for our sins. God is satisfied. Tetelestai, in the Roman Empire, when a debt was paid, the official stamp, Tetelestai. When Jesus died on the cross, God said, Tetelestai. Glory to God. Debt paid, debt paid, debt paid. All right, our belief in God's testimony concerning his son, Jesus, is our ticket to eternal life. And whoever does not believe the witness about God's son does not possess eternal life. Remember, John, the Bible is a book of absolutes, although there are gray areas of culture, etc. We know that. There are some cultural areas in going that we don't have to observe anymore, etc. We, we understand it because, because the period that the Bible was written, approximately 1,500 years, many of those cultures no longer exist or we don't live in those cultures. And so those are gray areas. But as far as biblical doctrine, especially in this case, New Testament doctrine, the Bible is a book of absolutes. And John, in his first epistle, 
he, he shows us these absolutes. He says, you're either with Jesus or you're not. You're either with Jesus or you're not. You're either with Jesus or you're not. He doesn't give any middle ground. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't tell you to walk in your truth. And as long as you walk in your truth, uh, everything is okay. No. Look at the very first verse. And then I'm going to close in a minute. Look at the very first verse of, of 1 John 5. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So he's saying, if you don't believe this, you're not born of God. You're not, you don't belong to God covenantally. By this, we know we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. John is saying, you cannot say you're a disciple of Jesus and you don't have love for his people and for God. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. These, these people trying to still burden you down talking about the Sabbath and this and that, and you ain't keeping the Sabbath. And, and so my argument to them is, if, well, if you're going to keep the Sabbath, you're going to have to keep the other 612 um, 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 uh, uh, areas of the law. You can't, you, can't, you can't try to burden people down with uh, one part or two parts or three parts of the law, and then, and then you're not willing to keep the rest of it. The Bible says, cursed is he who does not continue in every aspect of the law to do it. So if you're going to tell people you, you must keep the Sabbath, meaning Saturday, you must keep the Sabbath, meaning Saturday, well then, as I told somebody the other day, and the person had no justifiable answer, I said, what you going to do? If you're going to do that, you're going to have to offer also offer sacrifices in the temple. Because that was part of the law also. You're going to have to offer sacrifices in the temple. But guess what? You can't. Why not? Because the temple was destroyed in AD 70 by Titus and the Roman legions. There is no Jewish temple anymore. The temple is gone. So if you're trying to burden people down with these, with these, um, with these, uh, with these ridiculous uh, um, uh, legalistic regulations, but you're not going to keep the other 612 or 610, whatever the case may be, you're not going to keep the other aspects of the law. The Bible says you've broken the, the entire law. So stop trying to burden people. If people want to worship on Saturday, there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible talks about that in Romans 14. But the Bible also says in Colossians, let nobody judge you. Let nobody judge you as it relates to the Sabbath day and the new moon. And all these things were types and shadows that point to Jesus. But they were not Jesus. They were types and shadows. But the Bible says Jesus is the substance of all those things. So these people trying to um, burden you down. You can't be saved. If you, you ain't worshiping on the Sabbath. You know, in the true Sabbath, the white man, the Catholic church, uh, the Sunday, the day of the sun God. Uh, stop. Don't try to pull that on me. You can pull that on other people maybe. You're not pulling that on me. If I go to church on Sunday, it's because <clears throat> Sunday, the first day of the week, is the day Jesus rose from the dead. I'm not going to church because the Catholic Church said go to church on Sunday. If I go to church on Sunday, it's because Jesus. The Bible says in Mark 16 and 9, after Jesus had ridden, risen on the, um, on the first day of the week, he uh, first appeared to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. Don't, you're not going to try to burden me with all that legalistic stuff. It's not going to happen. And don't let anybody burden you with a bunch of legalism. Because these same people who are burdening, trying to burden you, they themselves are not keeping the law. How? How can you, how can you keep the law? <clears throat> Number one, you're not Jewish. Number two, if you're not offering the animal sacrifices and, and you couldn't offer them, the priests had to offer them. 
and the high priests have to make a, a atonement once a, my point is and the temple is gone there is no jewish temple there have been two Jewish temples. There was the first one built by Solomon. That was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to fulfill Jeremiah's prophecy that the Jews would be in captivity for 70 years. That temple was destroyed. Then when the Jews went back, Ezra, Nehemiah, when they went back, they built the second Jewish temple. Ezra, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, they all went back after the 70 years of captivity in Babylon. And, <clears throat> and God touched the heart of King Cyrus and they went back and built the second temple. Y'all forgive me, <clears throat> pollen. And 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 they uh and they they built the second temple, the second Jewish temple, and it wasn't as glorious as the first one, but it was the second Jewish temple. That temple was destroyed. Remember Jesus when the when the disciples came to Jesus and said, "Oh, look at the look! Oh, look at the temple." Jesus said, "Not one stone is gonna be left upon another. They're gonna all be torn down." About thirty-five years later, Titus and the Roman legions came through and destroyed all that. The Jewish temple is gone. So if the Jewish temple is gone, that means the sacrifices cannot be offered in the Jewish temple because there's no Jewish temple. So all these people trying to burden you down with all these legalistic requirements, be careful because they're trying to steal your liberty that you have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's nothing new. It's been going on since the beginning of the church. They tried to burden Peter and the Galatians, and I mean, uh, they tried to burden down the Galatians and other Christians. You can't be saved unless you're circumcised. No, no. True circumcision is in your heart. In your heart, the Bible says, not your garments. True circumcision is in your heart. So here's my point, and I'm going to close. Don't let people burden you down with a bunch of legalistic requirements because that's the devil trying to steal your joy and your liberty that you have in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. They, you know, and I deal with this a lot, you know, and I, I try to explain a lot of this stuff patiently. And you, <clears throat> you just can't explain. A lot of these people, uh, they're involved in cults and cults will always have you. Cults will always try to burden you down with legalistic requirements. Because that builds up the so-called leaders of the cult. It, it gives them a control mechanism over the people. And I'll leave it at that. God bless you, my beloved. We'll come to you again on Sunday morning, Lord willing, at 11 a.m. I'm going to finish 1 John 5, which will be the end of that epistle. <clears throat> then, Lord willing, we'll walk, through, we'll walk with Jesus through another book. I'm thinking Ephesians. I'm thinking we can walk with Jesus through Ephesians, but we'll see. But we'll finish 1 John uh, on Sunday morning. Remember, we changed from 10 to 11 a.m. So Sunday morning, God bless you. You be strong. You remember those, um, uh, those, um, those social distancing um, um, hygienic uh, um, re requirements. Be, be careful. Now they're saying you don't have to cough and sneeze and just, just uh, talking, etc. And so it's getting kind of... It's getting kind of bad. It's getting kind of bad out there. Uh, we're in the process of making some homemade, uh, <laughs> homemade mask, homemade mask. But we'll see how that goes. I've already made one. It's, uh, I don't want to walk into a store with a mask on. <laughs> Somebody shoot me. Boom. I thought he was going to rob us, you know. Um, you know, so black man, be careful. Don't walk, in the, don't walk into the bank with a mask on, right? But God bless you, my beloved. You be careful out there. Remember, faith ain't stupid. So again, this preacher in Pennsylvania said he's going to have a Woodstock, Woodstock type um, uh, service on Easter. And, and I posted, I said, yeah, and some of your members, 
they're going to be talking to some of the people who were at Woodstock who are no longer with us. They're going to be having a conversation. They're going to be talking to Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin who are no longer with us. So if you want to have a Woodstock type um, uh, um, worship service on Easter, you do that. But it, it's not wisdom. It's not wisdom. It's, it's like throwing gasoline on the fire. And again, I'll say this and then I'll close. As I said at the beginning, you can have you can have church virtually. You couldn't do that X amount of years ago, but now you can have church virtually. It's not the same as being there, but until we get a handle on this on this virus, which is a very very uh, 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 not courageous, I'm trying to think of the word. It's a very devious virus. It, it defies uh, interpretation. It defies us getting our handle our hands on it. And they're saying even if it dwindles during the warmer months, it could uh, come back in September. You see what I'm saying? So we don't know. It's very contagious. It's very contagious. It's very contagious. So you be careful out there. Um, just just wash your hands. Be remember your social distancing, etc. I know I know you can go stir crazy by staying in the house all the time. There's nothing wrong with taking a walk, and being in, in small groups as long as you keep your distance, etc. Anyway. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we come to you, we praise you, we thank you, we pray that we did your will, Lord. We pray that we spoke the truth of the gospel. We pray, Lord, that you were pleased with what, he, with what we said. We pray for your people. We pray for the church. We pray for leaders, Lord. Help these leaders to make spiritually mature decisions, not based just on politics and, and ego and pride, Lord. By Jesus Christ, I pray that this preaching and teaching and preaching and teaching all over the world will bear fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, that your church, those who love you, those pastors, those leaders, those followers who love you, your dear son, Jesus, we pray they'll be sustained spiritually, emotionally, financially in this time, Lord. You are the Alpha and the Omega. There's nothing outside of your power, your glory, your authority that can happen by Jesus Christ. We pray, we thank you for the privilege of mentioning your name. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you, Lord willing. We'll see you Sunday morning at 11 a.m. We'll finish 1 John 5, the truth of the gospel. God bless you. Be careful out there. Take care. Bye-bye.